Hello, I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And this is the Told You So podcast. Uh, again, after a brief hiatus, we're still kind of figuring out this schedule. Uh, so apologies to all of our loyal listeners for the break in production. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about two court cases, uh, one of which I was involved in and Carla was involved in as well. Uh, and you're not a plaintiff or anything on the on the right to know one, are you? No, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> not and not a not a participant, just an active observer. Yeah, you know, I think people often ask who watches the Watchers, and I like to think I do. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just out there trying to keep everyone honest. You know, Nancy Drew on the case, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> well, yeah. So <clears throat> first, let's talk a little bit about the uh, case that we brought against the city with the help of the ACLU. Uh, unfortunately, that has reached its conclusion. And huge shout out and thank you genuinely to the ACLU for all their help with this. Yeah, their team did a fantastic job. And unfortunately, I mean, what we ran up against, um, it's a little bit Kafkaesque. I mean, and it, and it kind of reminds me of there, there's a, a number of national issues uh, around <laughs> like secret courts and laws that can't be challenged. Um, and basically the outcome of our court case, which just to, to bring you up to speed and refresh your memory, uh, we sued the city of Manchester for injunctive relief uh, to stop the city from putting up surveillance cameras on Elm Street. Um, their claim was that somehow the surveillance cameras on Elm Street uh, will not capture the identifiable information of any individual in any motor vehicle. So somehow these high definition cameras are not going to capture people's faces or license plate numbers. Uh, which could then be used to identify them. And therefore, they're not breaking the statute which bans surveillance, uh, which takes in pictures of license plates uh, or other personally identifiable information. Is that about right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and that's what the state said. That was their argument. Yeah, so they um, these surveillance cameras were proposed at City Hall, right? So there was a hearing, not even a hearing, whatever the – alderman meeting was the chief yep. came in he said hey we want to get these surveillance cameras uh they paid for them through asset forfeiture money um and so minutes were written at city hall and suddenly you know these cameras are going to go up so when we sort of got wind of it we're like eh, maybe we should uh stop this right because there is this bill from 2006 and at the time, the Highway Surveillance Prohibited Bill, mm. as it is entitled. Written written by Neil Kirk, a, a co-plaintiff Absolutely. in our lawsuit. Yes. And, and Neil, you know, is known as a privacy guy in New Hampshire. He was uh, instrumental in getting the amendment to the New Hampshire Constitution passed mm. last year, Article 2B, which says, you know, we have the right to live free of government intrusion in our public and private affairs or something. I yeah. need to memorize that wording. So Neil in 2006 fought pretty hard for this bill because at the time it seemed entirely inconceivable that in New Hampshire we would get to a stage where they were putting up police surveillance cameras that right. will run 24-7 in public spaces right. in the Granite State. That's probably something that's okay for like a London or a New York, but right. you know, we're unique here and this is not the kind of stuff I want to see 
see happen. But of course, we we lost the right. case, so I guess the cameras are going to be going up. Right. I and don't the, know when exactly that will happen. Well, it's probably a super secret of some sort. <laughs> well, no, I, so the all right, well, and again, I'm I'm sorry for kind of telling the story in reverse. Car, <laughs> Carla said what led up to it, and I said what ended it prior to what she said. But um, anyway, yeah. Long story short, we lost. They're going to put the cameras up. And the crazy thing about this case, the, the reason I say it's Kafkaesque and a little bit weird in the ruling, is that they say that someone will have to be injured. So they'll have to know that they were identified by police surveillance um, to bring... As, as a motorist. Right, as a motorist. Or in a through car. your license plate, right. right? So somebody has to know that the police did that or some member of the police did that before they can bring a suit about the cameras. Now, the video, I believe it's purged every two weeks. Um, and well, well, so first of all, we don't know that there are any policies um, sort of over, overseeing any of this, right? So what, what we currently or, right. have is we have minutes from uh, Alderman meetings, and mm. we have statements made to the newspapers. And between those two things, and then we have the pleadings of the case. And in those, it was said that um, they would only keep the footage for two weeks. It would be used internally uh, by someone who was viewing it. They would not use facial recognition software or license plate scanners, and that the information would be subject to the 91A, the right to know, Right. right? And I don't know if you noticed this, Brink, but I did. In the final judgment that we got last week from the judge, mm-hmm. four of those five things were listed, but the fact that it would be subject to 91A was not mm. in the final order. And I don't think that was a mistake. I have a feeling it wasn't because, well, as, as we're saying here, so to find out that you were identified, you would need to file a right to know to find out that the police did this thing. I mean, unless... You were sitting there with the police officer while he identified you from surveillance footage. There's no way you would know that the law had been broken and your rights had been violated. So that's sort of a lot of what we see in the national security arena, right? right. And I think it's important for listeners to to know this, and, and most of you probably do, but if you don't, I hope this is a little aha moment. National security has nothing to do with us as like human beings, individuals, or even citizens of a country. National security is the protection of the state. Yes. Well, and if you – I don't know if you saw it. There, there's, there was a book that came out recently about um, – uh, this this guy whose stepfather was a confidant of Jimmy Hoffa's. Oh wow! And uh, it was a really interesting story. Um, and I'm blanking on both the name of the book and the author, but I'll put it in the link. <laughs> uh, something Hoffa <laughs> in the news recently. But it really it was all about how um, this guy uh, the the his stepfather was named Chucky, and uh, this the author was a law student and went through this period where he realized his father was associated with all these unsavory people and kind of like cut him out of his life. And part of the reason why was because uh, he thought Chucky's a liar. He always, you know, he would make these things up. He was always saying that the FBI bugged his house, that the, you know, that the federal government was just as corrupt as organized crime, all this stuff that, you know, part of his, like, I'm a upstanding member of society was throwing off all that, all that messaging. And then years later, the guy is in the Bush administration, and he's reviewing uh, these secret surveillance courts. Um, 
and again, there's uh, he goes into this long history of secret rulings. It starts with FDR, where the FBI just says, "Well, uh, Wait, can we're allowed." Or deny? Well, no, no. They, they, <laughs> they say we're we're allowed to do this obviously extra legal, unconstitutional thing. Uh, in particular, with the early FBI, it was bugging everywhere. Right. And you're not allowed to break into a place to bug it, regardless of if you think a criminal, it's just not allowed. Well, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, but they did it all the time because there was a secret ruling in a secret court, a secret administrative court uh, that FDR signed off on, and it was all hunky dory. So, here's the thing that I find fascinating is how do people not see the cognitive dissonance, right? In well, a world I'm, where we're talking about darkness and light, right? So, they say sunshine is the best disinfectant, mm-hmm. right? And we're sort of taught to tell the truth and, you know, all of those things. And then we have the state that's saying we need all this power over you in order to protect you, my poor little. Shiny baby, yes, you know, (laughs) lambs to the slaughter. Literally, we are the sheeple, right? (laughs) And and they're saying we need to do all these protective things secretly in the dark without telling you you because you can't know because you can't handle the truth. And I'm like, people, can you not see? There's one shady group here, and it's not the people telling the truth and asking for the truth. It's the people who are hiding things from you. And telling you that they're hiding things from <laughs> right, you for, for your, your own, own good. good. Well, to finish the story, so the so the guys in the Bush administration and the, the reason that these the Jimmy Hoffa story and the surveillance story come together is that he's putting together the uh, legal review for whether or not this um, uh, the FISA court, you know, uh, metadata searching, all all this stuff that Edward Snowden released yep. information about later uh, was happening. So he. He was ruling that parts of it were unconstitutional at the end of the day. But during the process, one of the decisions that he came upon was uh, United States government versus Chucky, his stepdad. (laughs) And it turns out that it's this foundational case where – he was being bugged illegally, and there were the, there was this secret ruling, and the judge, it's just like contempt for this whole concept of – Oh, you wrote yourself a note that said it was okay for you to violate the Fourth Amendment? Like, that's not acceptable. <laughs> um, but then in the Bush administration, he's watching them do the exact same thing. And he's writing a secret ruling about the secret policy, uh, which is obviously unconstitutional. Well, yeah. And, you and- know, the interesting part in, in that story, the, the happy ending sort of, was that not that, like, it all worked out and fixed itself, but at least there were people – involved in the process that were shouting that this was wrong and not acceptable. Like, it seems like in the FDR days, it was like high fives all around. <laughs> and like, let's get those bad guys. I mean, I think part of what happens when things become more and more corrupt is that you're just, you're surrounded with everyone who, everyone becomes scared to do the right thing. Like when you reach the tipping point of it's not really a healthy functioning organization, but it's actually like doing more bad than good, even though they don't really know or understand it. People are scared to speak up. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the things we should be talking in terms of how we message things and how we, we talk to people, I want to talk to people about being courageous and being brave. And I'm genuinely hoping that the Supreme Court justices here in New Hampshire, the four that heard the right to know cases, yeah. I'm genuinely hoping that they do the right thing. 
Um, if, if can I jump to that? Well, let's, let's just kind of like put a put a bow on the, the oh, cameras gonna... that are going to be watching us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so basically to wrap that up, where it stands is that the cameras are going up, and you need to be a, a psychic mind reader that can know the interior lives of the surveillance monitors to know whether or not you can bring a suit about it. Well, I think immediately the thing. <laughs> so I'm gonna... legislation is the answer on this one. Well, I, I think legislation is going to be partly the answer. Um, I do know that Gary Hopper, at a minimum, has a bill uh, LSR in now that would ban facial recognition software. Um, one of the things that really just concerns me, both with the Kafka-esque sort of circular thing where you're like, oh, okay, I need to know in order to know to know, you know, how, right. you know, to get from point A to point B. But the thing is, like when Sweeney, the, the guy who testified and said, oh, we would need a bill in New Hampshire in order for them to put up surveillance camera for the police, yes. like literally for the police to put up surveillance cameras in New Hampshire, yeah, we, would need a new... <laughs> we would need new legislation. Now, you know, that was 2006. So now 13 years later, they're just going, we are putting up cameras. Right. Like it's just become this de facto thing within like a dozen years. And, but they're saying, but trust us when we say that, you know, we, we're not going to use facial recognition software right. or trust us that we're going to. Well, and of course the concern there, I mean, it's, it's, uh, if you remember the stingray devices, that whole, uh, expose, you know, it turned out that. In they're an, definitely using them. Oh, I mean, well, and, and I and think it's, they're it's legal illegal. now. They're right? not allowed to. No, they're. I mean, I, if I, I forget which court ruled it, but if I remember correctly, it was like you need a warrant to use these things. They were basically using these tracking devices to locate people based on their cell. Oh, phones. there was actually there was a Supreme Court decision, wasn't right. there? I, yeah, I, I think you are the, actually right. And, and, and the real problem, and this is the same thing with the surveillance cameras, is the the police engaged in what's called uh, parallel construction where I think we might have talked about this on an earlier show, but it's where you get evidence from an illegal or unconstitutional search or seizure. Um, so, for example, I mean, the, 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 uh, here's, here's a, I'll paint a scenario. Um, there's a guy that's suspected of murder. So uh, the police, when they know he's not home, they break into his house and they find a knife with blood on it. And, you know, so they find the stuff that let them know that he's probably guilty. But then they go back and they build a case from the ground up with the knowledge that they gained illegally. Um, so that's, that's the, that's what it's like, but well, it's more, it is, it's more but likely. I think that's actually just to jump in for a second. That's a bad example because the thing is. Right, Cause murder is galvanizing and it's a crime against a human being. And most well, of the time this is for drugs, prostitution. Yeah. Or, you know. or just things where they're literally like, we're going to surveil you like in right. the Hoffa example, part of the concern. And we definitely have we're talked just, on this like on previous people. shows <laughs> is, um, there is a chilling effect that is happening, and it's actually <laughs> happening in America because that's part of the darkness, right? Where people who are decent don't want to speak up, who don't want to be – it's hard to be courageous and brave and out there and saying yeah. these things, except, especially when you're fighting a system, right? Yeah. And so, you know, like uh, – you go. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I get mad because, you know, so can I jump to the Fenneman thing? Yeah, I was going to say, we should, we should okay. go, yeah. So Let's segue into the next so, segment. So, so back to the, that sort of idea of bravery and courageousness. So in the legal world, right, one of the hardest things you can do if you're a judge 
is to overrule your own court's decisions, mm -hmm. right? Because there is the, this sort of fabricated imaginary thing when you really parse it out in your own mind very carefully, where the courts, the the justice system basically works like this. We are omniscient. We can't make mistakes because if we admit that we can make mistakes, then people will see through the entire <laughs> system. So therefore, we're not allowed to ever admit right. we make mistakes. Unless right? we really, 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 unless, really screwed up. <laughs> unless we really, really, exactly, egregiously made a oops that is like so obvious, right? So when it's that obvious, it still takes right. 20, 25, 30 years for that decision to actually be reversed. And the so canonical here, example would be like Plessy versus Ferguson to Brown versus Board of Education when they were like separate but equals great. And then like X number of years later, 20, 30 years, but I, I, I don't remember when that happened, but um, in, in the 60s, <laughs> they were like, wait a minute, that was wrong. It turns out we were wrong. Oops, never mind. <laughs> but that's like the reason that it's the one that springs to mind is it's like the only time that it happened with the Supreme Court. Yeah, actually, there, the the, there are um, few times it happens, but you'll be surprised to learn here uh, that the Wayfarer decision, which mm -hmm. is a decision just recently that the Supreme Court said – oh, no, now we have to, here in New Hampshire, we don't have sales tax, we don't have an income tax, we're a low-tax, low-spend state. And it had a very negative impact on us because suddenly everyone here had to adhere to the 12,000 taxing authorities across the state. Yeah. But that Wayfarer decision was overturning a decision that said, no, you actually had to have a physical presence in order to establish a taxing authority. Right. So that was, like, weird. That's a very recent one that yeah. happened. But uh, back to Fennett. Yeah, sorry, okay. I didn't mean, yeah. I was trying so to contextualize Fenneman was decided in 1993, and it was the very bad case that came out of the Supreme Court <laughs> that said that personnel records are exempt from the 91A, so exempt from right. open, transparent, accountable, and responsive government. And, um, and it was a really bad decision because what happened was everything started to be put under the auspices of per personnel, and things especially people who were doing bad things started to get hidden. So we're back into that right. dark world of secrets. And, yeah. Cause you like know. your, your disciplinary record, suddenly that's a personnel file. Yes. And nobody can look at it. Yes. So there is like zero accountability. Right. And there's zero knowledge of who's doing what. Right. Because there's also this very new, I don't know if it's a new trend, but it's a, it's a surprising trend to me where um, state agents will now argue they, they, they don't treat anyone as an individual. They just treat them as you're part of the state. And here's a very concrete example. I looked at some um, justified shootings, officer-involved shootings uh, for 2017 as research, and I have to do it every year, but it's bleak, so I don't like doing it, so I'm a little behind. But in one of those cases, four officers discharged their firearms uh, into the person, the suspect who was then dead. And th as part of the decision, they were like, we are not forensically going to test uh, who's, which officer of the four actually killed him. We're just going to say they were killed by the state. 
Okay. And that like really shocked me because that's like what? I mean, you know, the, we're weird. treating homicides like where it, like, yeah, right? Like like I don't know. I found at least w- none of them are burdened with the moral culpability of knowing that they killed the guy. <laughs> Well, you know? <laughs> and, and, and maybe that's the reasoning, but then I think that needs to be explained because I'm not buying it. It's very hard. Here's the yeah, other thing, bizarre. right? Like, it's very hard to trust, to, to have trust in relationships where one person is keeping a lot of secrets and then pretty much, like, sandbagging you or gaslighting you where they're like, no, I'm not bullying you. What are you talking about? Right, well, they punch you. Yeah, and they're like, stop you're hitting yourself. Stop, stop hitting right. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel a lot. So Fetterman was a very bad decision. So of the four justices that we had up there uh, last Wednesday, um, one of them, I believe, sat on the Fetterman case. Okay. Based on the questions they were asking, it seemed clear to me that they all understood that Fetterman was a problem. Uh, in fact, Gregory Sullivan, who was the attorney for the union leader, who also argued Fenneman on behalf of the First Amendment, so on behalf yeah. of uh, the union leader back in the day, um, actually said in court, he was like, well, Fenneman was decided wrong. It was wrong then. It's wrong now. You know, and then he was like, you guys have an opportunity to fix it. And I was getting the vibe that they seemed to understand that. So mm. I'm holding out hope for the legal system to do the right thing. I feel like even in our decision with the the Manchester cameras, I do feel like the judge probably did as much as she could do. She was like, look, it looks clearly if they install the cameras, they're going to break this other surveillance law because the laws of logic. (laughs) How could they not? Right. But I don't know legally how to stop that from happening because they're not breaking the law yet. Right. So I kind of understand. I mean, it is circular. That's why you grant a preliminary injunction injunction. so they can't break the law. Yes. But anyway, sorry. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Right. So that was the point. But let's talk about that a little bit. Right. Because that's pre-crime. So, so, I mean, it's it's the reverse of yeah. pre-crime in this case. but like It's pre-rights we, violation. Yeah, but like we <laughs> get held accountable for pre-crimes all the time. A yeah. DUI checkpoint, a roadblock, even if you are over the alcohol limit, and I'm not encouraging, I don't drink, I don't drink and drive anymore. I did mm. in the past. Like, don't do it. It's dumb. But if you're over the limit, but you haven't caused an accident, you actually should not be guilty of a crime. So you're you're putting in a roadblock to say you might cause, like we want to prevent yeah. this super bad thing from happening, so we're going to violate all these rights upstream from that. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, there's, I think there's a good argument to be made against drunk driving being legal, but there's not a good argument to be made that checkpoints stop drunk driving. And so it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And also it just flagrantly violates everybody's rights. Right. But I feel like so many of these things where the government got involved, they were like Johnny come lately's and the market was already solving those challenges and problems. Right. So like if you look at the history of how alcohol, (laughs) you know, was used by people over the millennia, it's a different story, right? Like we've had this relationship as human beings with this intoxicating thing mm-hmm. that we have over time kind of melded into something where it's like, wow, this is widely available and people kind of worldwide know what the norms and standards are. Yeah. 
I don't think we needed laws to make that happen. I feel like that actually happens in societies where people kind of go, dude, you're yeah, being a be jerk. A or like, you're thing. not allowed, you shouldn't drink because like you're a jackass when you drink or you're violent or please stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. so, so I guess my point, I, and we're far off the rails here now, but um, back to the right to know cases, right? So I'm yeah. hoping the judges do the right thing just for our listeners back home. It, the, the, it was three court cases. And these are, so it's related, what, what, what's the actual case that brought it? Is it, uh, I, I, again, I only have like a, a very cursory knowledge of this. So from what I understand, it was a woman in uh, Nashua who was concerned about her tax assessment. So this is not even one of the cases. Oh, that one is, one. yeah, that's just another right to know oh, okay. story. That's a good story. Can I I'm, tell you super you quickly? Tell it, yeah. Okay, so there's this lady uh, from Nashua who bought a very fancy house downtown. Got her downtown uh, tax bill. It was $18,000. She was like, wow, that's a lot. And then uh, asked her neighbors what they were paying, and they were paying significantly less. Yeah. So she was like, why am I getting screwed? Because I think the way it's supposed <laughs> Is there to... there gold under my house? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the way it w- it's supposed to work, I guess, under statute or the city ordinances or some, you know, some words on paper somewhere, is they can only reassess the values every five years. Okay. But basically what I understand the city of Nashua was doing and what this assessor who ended up actually losing his job, but he has now gone to Hooksit. So if you are in Hooksit and a listener, you probably want to take a look at your property tax bill. Keep an eye on that. So basically what this dude was doing is if a house sold, he was assessing it against the sale value and not the assessed value Ooh. that was supposed to be like set for five years. So it was yeah. so he was like leveling up. Oh, okay. And so we I think if I have it straight, that's how I understand what happened there, right? So the differential between the assessed so the Zillow value versus the sale value. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. But not Zillow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or <laughs> uh, and but whatever, and because it was only set every five years or something, right. depending on on where you were in that cycle, you could, you know, it could make a significant difference if property sure. values have gone up significantly yeah, over the five years. Really, or, you know, yeah. yeah, so um, so I think she got super frustrated and then started filing right-to-know requests, and they did not like that. Uh, I think she hired a PI, and uh, there was someone in Nashua, I haven't uh, confirmed that those two things are the same thing, but I believe they are. Hired a PI to um, follow the guy around, so he yeah. would pretty much just like be sleeping in parking lots during the day <laughs> and like not do his job. I, don't, I mean, it was egregious enough where the guy actually left the department. I'm not sure if he got fired or if he was given the opportunity fired, to leave resigned, with a, yeah. you know, but full pension and it'll probably still count, <laughs> you know, whatever, right? But the, but, the gold <laughs> card for government employees, where right. Well, well, let's talk about that. So the two right-to-know cases. So, okay, just to finish, Nashua lady. So then she filed these requests, and then to be jerks, the city treated a, a joint request for tax records, which are public and should be available online, so the city had already not done their job there. Uh, they treated them as everyone as a separate request and then went to the newspaper and were like, well, she filed 30,000 requests. <laughs> Uh, so they made her look like a crazy lady, yeah. which was upsetting to her. And then 
on a Saturday afternoon, like ding dong. And she opens her door and there are two uniformed Nashua police officers who are at her house on a Saturday afternoon to issue a verbal restraining order. Which I don't think is a thing that exists. I, I mean, I've never heard of that. That sounds like very, very, very fishy. It's it's kind of like when they took my camera when I got arrested right, and they like, were like, oh, we're not going to give you a receipt oh, for that. Verbal restraining order? Where's the paperwork? Yeah, and, let me, let me I'm prove. I'm sure that you have some official document that sanctions whatever I've done, so hand it over. Right. Well, so, <laughs> so you know, we'll, I, I will let everyone who's listening make up their own minds about what that was that to me would have seemed intimidating. I would have oh, yeah. been upset. And and in fact, she said sort of in passing um, at the meeting uh, that she jokingly says to her husband over the weekends, now if the doorbell rings, they're both like, God, I hope it's not the cops. And everyone laughed. And then I thought about it afterwards. And I was like, that's not actually funny. They've given her PTSD in her own home. I know that feeling. Like when I see blue lights light up behind me, even if it's the nicest guy who is there to tell me your taillight is out or, you know, whatever it is, like where it's really just harmless and, and care, you know, like caring. I don't have a warm and fuzzy. I am terrified. Right. No, your heart rate goes up. And and, and I kind of, like, a, do you think it would be crazy to introduce a bill where, like, we, <laughs> you do? <laughs> I, I don't, I have no recommendations for legislation. Oh, you're not allowed to do that. Oh, that's yeah. annoying. All right. So, so that wraps up <laughs> Nashua Lady. So she is, um, she's fighting the good fight. Good for her. Uh, we're grateful there are people like that out there. Um she has a, not grateful that stuff like that happens to her, though. That she no, had a, of course not. You know, a, a jerk uh, municipal employee abuse her, and then according to the story, the police abuse her. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. So, so it's it's sad that we're at that stage. Um, so, at the right to know meeting where she told her story, we also had a Nashua uh, Democrat. I believe she's an alderman and a state rep, Jen Schmidt, who uh, showed up. She actually spoke first, and she stated that she, based on Lori's experience, the lady from Nashua's experience, that she um, was going to help her by making these changes to New Hampshire's right-to-know bills. And then um, the proposed language on her, her proposed language would strike a roll call provision, so... The only way we know who voted which way, so that is like not (laughs) not making things more transparent, Jan. (laughs) And then, um, and the other ones were equally awful, including one that would make you pay their salary, including benefits, if you file a right to know request. So, so uh, what, instead of them just doing their job and giving you, that's part of the job of oh, the like government it would, it is would to be transparent. A fee yeah, to, that, yeah. Uh, man, it's it's. Uh, no, that sounds very helpful. No, but also, you know, how about if you're that woman's representative, go like tear apart the police department until you find out what two people were willing to act as like thugs. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really wrong. I mean, like, I would love to see someone file a right to know request to ask who the officers were who were 30, there. 30,000 of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if, 
everyone in Nashua got on board. I mean, they don't you? Them all out. And I feel like right to know is such a, it's just, it's an awesome issue because it's not a right left issue. Everyone, every decent human being, Granite Stater in the great state of New Hampshire should care that our government does remain open, accountable, and responsive to the people at all times for all reasons. Because if they're representing us and we don't know what they're doing, how are we supposed to hold them accountable? Like, it's really important. And it's not a us versus them thing. It's so all of us in this. Let's shine the light. Yeah. Let's make sure that people know what other people are doing in our names. Because if police officers are tackling kids from behind on camera and nothing happens to them, those people do not represent right. me. And well, I don't want it to happen. Yeah. And obviously, I think that it's so right about the this is like a nonpartisan, non-team thing. Like... Uh, there's probably lots of police officers who are unhappy about that sort of stuff happening. Even though, like, if you're in a professional environment, you know, you know, I, I think about that sometimes. Where, like, where are our whistleblowers? Like, yeah. why don't more people start to come forward? If you're a good cop and you're like, I don't think what's happening is right, come forward. I mean, the history of the way that those people have been treated is not. Fantastic. If you, I mean, the stories of people where it's like, hey, they had ticket quotas and it was not okay with me. And I told the, uh, you know, internal sure, affairs but th- but and we now have, I'm fired. Right. But <laughs> we actually have to reach a tipping point and that we do by speaking to our friends, our neighbors, the people around us, but also encouraging you. If you're a good, decent person, I encourage yeah. you to really start thinking about like, what, what, what side are you on? Are you on the side of truth and light and and love, or are you on the side of like I don't know some kind of like mean bullying <laughs> BS? Yeah, well, and I mean, and, and above and beyond like sides and teams, like I think everybody, like what you're saying, everybody has a reason to care about this, no matter who you are. Um, so well, yeah, I think we can call them. a side and team between like light and dark. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing but, it. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I just mean like there's people that would be assumed to be on either team that might not in fact be on the teams they're assumed to be, and so like you know you shouldn't make like a, a blanket judgment about light and dark folks light and dark <laughs> all right well this show has been all over the place i know well as, embrace as, the light <laughs> as, no, as i'm, I'm sorry i'm just i'm as always trying to be stupidly charitable towards other humans so trying to think that there's some good in everybody <laughs> Is, but the, but people have to be more good than bad, yes. and at some stage you gotta. It's you about know. the stuff that you do. And yes, you, and, and, when and you that's, do bad stuff over and over again makes you a bad person. And and <laughs> that's so important to for people to realize, like your actions. I judge you only on your own actions yeah. in the now. And so if you're doing bad things in the now <laughs> because you think there are going to be bad things that you're going to prevent in the future, stop doing it. Well, I think that's a good note to leave on. So thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, talk to your friends and family about this stuff because a lot of times they don't they don't know what's going on. So let them know, but not in an annoying way, in a nice way. <laughs> Peace out. Bye.